My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Do I really want to pay my mortgage? And then, then it stuck to me that gig to work out the affordability, livability, and investability of one property at the same time. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum, and in this episode, we continue our discussion with property strategist Webhub Rostogi, who has managed funds of up to $2 billion in Australia whilst working in finance. We discuss the strategies he's used to secure a $5 million plus property portfolio and he shares the best and worst moments of his investment career. Rostogi spent six months working at Westpac as an equities analyst and then the prospect of his children and their future entered his mind. I was still under under financial pressure. Um, didn't want to compromise on on our first child as well, like in terms of the you know uh, the aspirations. Of course, I mean your your first child is is going to be something that you put a lot of love and care and you know financial support towards, and you know I think every parent does it as well. I remember my first child. We, we spent quite a lot of money, you know, getting the best of the best if we could. Second child, different story. It's like usually we got the first child. <laughs> but you, you don't know what you don't know and I think that's exactly the thing. Right. So, you know, it's a lifestyle decision but also it's, we try our best for the kids that we, you know, for our kids' sake as well too. So, that's really, really interesting. You, you were in Westpac and you started, I guess, learning a little bit more about the financial side. At what stage did you decide to purchase your property in Australia? Did you buy a first home or did you start investing into property? Yeah, so that was a thing that I was talking about. Six months into my role, I, I saw that consistency of my paycheck and I was looking at my bank balance, which was not there. And the question was like, okay, like 2010 already and uh, my daughter is only two years old now. Uh, do I really want to put, I guess, buy my own property here instead of paying the rent? Uh, do I really want to pay my mortgage? And then, then it stuck to me that it's very hard gig to work out the affordability, livability, and investability of one property at the same time. And and that made me realize that okay, uh, let me pick some books, and and I started reading about it. So one of my favorite books is Rich Dad Poor Dad. I'm, I'm sure everyone yeah, great <laughs> might book. have heard of it. Yes. Uh, if not, go for it. If you already read it, read it one more time. Um, and that's where I actually learned the concept of asset and liability, not from the accounting perspective, but more from the personal growth perspective 
and I realized that I'm better off going for my investment as compared to my first home. Though I had nothing at that point of time uh, in terms of my, my deposit for either of them, but it was, it was more about aspiration and having a plan. Because the good thing with me and my wife is like we, just like a company, like a business, people talk about the business strategy and the five-year planning and 10 years planning. Uh, we used to talk about our own personal growth, like, okay, where do we see ourselves in the next 10 years? And and that maybe in 2010, something on those lines, like we started working out, like, are we living in our own home or not? And and we realized that we really want to be on the beach next to the, you know, next to the water, good water view property and uh, just chasing the kids over there. So that was the aspiration that we had in 2010. And I kid you not, I am actually not in beaches next to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> what comes true so yeah exactly to me it's more about where you put your mind on uh you focus on the energy flows and uh law of attraction works um so i got in touch with lots of good people out there uh, who gave me that inspiration i started going for different seminars and i realized that education when it comes to the financial education yes i've been well educated from that point of point of view that you know engineering then masters in it and then mba but when it comes to personal finance, it's an entirely different story. I can I, I knew how to read accounting books or, or look at the uh, growth potential of a company, but how do I put and apply those rules on me as a family is entirely different ballgame. And I think that's the, the biggest difference is that a company, you have a, a group of people who know that they're one, you know, aspiring towards that one big company goal and they're getting paid to be there. Whereas a family, there's you know a lot of personal emotional attachments behind it you know you, you're not all being here to be paid to be <laughs> aiming to get a big house here and do that and so forth it's it's all about you know what does every one of us individually want as a family you know as a group and trying to achieve that so i can totally understand and i think the the challenge we all face you know in any type of families is that everyone will have different opinions you know there might be one party who's more gung-ho to go and invest into property there's another one who's sort of you know takes a step back and goes oh i'm not sure about this and that and you just got to try and come to some kind of compromise and it's always that you know give and take i'm okay for someone to take a very conscious decision or lack of decision as long as it's done deliberately as in consciously the challenge that i find is that people have forgotten about themselves as as the hero of their own life we are just you know going through and leading the life without really i mean it's a life which is controlling us, the, the things around us which is controlling us, rather than we controlling the external factors. So it has come down to the mindset thing. And the mindset is the thing that I'm talking about. Nobody can teach anyone. It's something that you live with. Of course, by coaching or mentoring, you can try to work it out you know, for, for good or worse. Uh, but uh, that is something which is more conscious now as compared to, you know, getting up early in the morning, thinking through what is your plan for the day and then leading the day is one scenario versus we get up, okay, now it's time to do this. Okay, now time to do that. You know, not really focusing on the end goals, but rather... Unfortunately, that's what happens a lot in life. Yeah, you know, whenever there's something that you, you got to get onto, you just got to be reactive rather than be proactive and, okay, this is the goal that we're trying to achieve. This is the steps that we need to follow. And, you know, it's important to allocate time to kind of do that as well. All right. Well, what I'd like to have a chat to you a little bit more about, Rusty, is um, I want to find out a little bit more about, I guess, your property investing journey. You mentioned that you've got a portfolio of $5 million worth of property. How many 
uh, properties do you have in that portfolio at this point in time? I got 15. With a portfolio that size, Ristolgi has certainly seen his fair share of ups and downs during his journey. He remembers the worst moment in his investment career so far. This is probably my third property that I was looking at. And uh, so this was interstate property. I knew that I had to go for auction on over the phone. I did all the research that I used to do. Like I, I'm kind of a person who would build a report first and then look at the property much more detailed and then try to work out the pricing. And that stipulated to me that this is the maximum price that I would pay for it. And uh, so the, the lesson that I had like on the day of the auction was that I think I got too much emotionally attached to my research process that I have, have been practicing. And um, in the auction audience, there were a couple of buyers agents like who are very well claimed, um, accomplished buyers agents. And I thought like I'm there bidding for them and bidding for the property and they are in the game as well. So there's something that probably I don't even know. So I actually self-doubted my own research and I went with the flow emotionally that if they are doing it for a client, adding a price point to it versus I'm doing for myself, if they can see the value as a local agent there, maybe I'm missing out on something. And I actually ended up buying the property on the higher side of my range. But what I realized that the kind of mindset that I had, you know, like in auction, we have a few seconds to react on, on the bid, especially when you're doing it on the phone. It's not really easy. And uh, the lesson that I had was like not to get in, not to get emotional about it. And uh, yeah, so my, like I, I'm still holding that property in my portfolio. Uh, but it always reminds me of the day of auction that uh, I actually failed my own process then. Like I paid slightly more than what I should have paid. I should have been a happy uh, loser on that auction rather than having a winner's remorse now. Yeah, it's it's interesting and we always look back on hindsight. I think that's really, really good that you've shared that with us because it's hard to sort of take the emotion out of it sometimes when you're looking at especially this is your third property. It's not like you know, you've done 10, 15 transactions already. This is your third, third one and it's you know, you're still looking through that process and going. So, the biggest learning lesson from that one is that um, you know, instead of overpaying just slightly that you said you did, if you had just let that one go, could you have missed an opportunity because you know, potentially isn't, isn't that with that property that you currently hold, is that actually a good property in your portfolio or is it still sort of you know, sitting I guess um, flat at this point in time? The property has not really done too bad, but to your point, like when I'm saying yes to our property, actually I'm saying no to other 10,000 properties as well. So it's not so much so about me saying yes to our property, but more about losing on the other 9,000, you know, yeah. 99,900 yeah, properties out there. Yeah, so it's the opportunity so, so it's more, cost. To me, it's yeah. more about the opportunity cost. And it's not so much so about the property that I was talking about as my was decision. It was more about me having a process and not following it to, till the end. Yeah, you know? yeah. I should have walked away at a percentage because I always look for the bargains. Like if there's a property for me at say maybe 93 cents in a dollar or 94 cents in a dollar, I'm not really happy when I'm getting at 97 in a dollar kind of thing. So that's where I'm coming from. Like I actually paid overpaid to my liking. Of course, still under the market value from my own research. Uh, but it, it just, I guess, went through with the flow on that day, which I still remember very vividly. 
There are many moments like this one in Rastolgi's journey where he remembers vividly, including his aha moment where seeing the value in the renovation strategy struck a chord in him and everything seemed to click into place. So I would talk about my maybe my fifth property purchase. So I did all the due diligence on a property which was uh, unloved, uh, demanding for TLC as in tender love care. Um, it was a distress, sorry, disease state, I should say, sorry. It's a disease state property uh, in Central Coast. And uh, what I realized that like, I was actually a graduate of uh, Sherry Barber uh, who talks about renovation. And um, what I learned from that course was unless until you do get your hand dirty as in roll up your sleeve and do things on your own it's 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 hard to learn things just by reading or you know like on, on the research you have to on the ground do the things and that actually led me to go into unrenovated property that i can probably go and do my renovation and the aha moment that was was that i was able to see the value from the strategy that i was trying to deploy that other bidders were not really thinking about and, and what I realized that it's it's a value for me that matters that would actually define the maximum price I should be able to pay for the property. As compared to what market is doing, they might be on the wrong side of the equation, but it's their strategy. It's their perception of the value. I need to think about my own value add or the value perception and then pay the, pay the price accordingly. Because value is what you get and price is what you pay. So if there is uh, enough discount from that perspective, um, whatever threshold I would like to have, I'm more than happy to go. Sometimes that number could be a lot more higher than what the market is really able to pay. So in that scenario, I'm happy to pay over the market price just to win the property because I see the potential, I see the value that it will bring to me in my portfolio. Gotcha. That's really interesting. So I guess every deal is going to be different because I'm also thinking this through as well. I've just been recently having a conversation with another colleague who is actually looking at different deals and he told me that you know other people were coming into this particular deal um, in New South Wales actually in Sydney where it, every time people were looking at it, they'd make a loss on it because there was no way that the structure could be made profitable this particular deal but then when he came in and structured it slightly differently he actually returned a very very profitable re, uh, rate of return from the res the rental income and on top of that the equity value after doing a certain renovation so i guess everybody comes in a slightly different perspective and i think a lot of people just don't really look at different angles they probably just look at one angle and go okay what's the rental income what what is the equity that we can potentially gain Whereas sometimes, you know, you might be able to look at the particular property, like particularly for development, I can I can talk from personal experience is that if you look at a particular deal, there's so many different ways you can chop up the block, you can build this, you can do this and that. And, you know, with so many different uh, potential opportunities, you just got to work out which one is going to be the best one. And it sounds like that's what you did with the particular property that you purchased on your fifth one. And that's, I guess, obviously what's going to work because if you don't have a plan or a goal and you don't know what exactly which direction you head, <laughs> it's very easy just to jump in and just buy any random property. No, exactly right. And just to add on to that point is like, I don't really think or take a property just in isolation. To me, it's like, just like what I was doing in my share portfolio for my clients is that what would that additional stock will do in my portfolio has a lot more weightage because it is not just about the risk, sorry, return profile, but it's also about the risk profile. 
So to me, from the financial metrics of risk-adjusted return is the thing that I'm looking at. And that actually defines the mandate that what should be my next property be looking like. So I have a mandate, I have a strategy in place first that will define and guide me the mandate for my next purchase. And, and then that has a more value for me from the strategy or from the portfolio perspective. And if having said that, I'm not really saying yes or no to other properties, which doesn't really lie in that same realm. It's just that I would be looking for a lot more discount for me to get excited about that opportunity. Coming up after the break, Rostolgi breaks down the strategies he implemented when building his portfolio. So when I was buying my fourth property, I think my broker told me that this is the last property, Rusty. Don't bother about the fifth property. We learn about his motivators and mentors and why it's crucial to have them. Everyone has has something to share and a lot more for me to learn on a daily basis. I'm learning even now on a daily basis, like what's really going on. He shares some of the personal habits which had helped him along the way. And how do you plan for your future? Like how do you plan for your next 10 years then having some milestones on the way? And that's next. I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Rostolgi shares with us the strategy he used to build his portfolio of $5 million worth of property. What I learned early on in my investing career was that we have to really make banks our friends. Mm. You know, yes, capital growth matters because that is actually making going to make us rich. But we can't really chase capital growth all the time because there will be some ceiling uh, hits through the journey. So we have to be very mindful of what banks can lend us to as in terms of what would be our serviceability to them. So the combination of having the right cash flow to suit the bank's uh, criteria as well as the capital growth as a combination is what I actually look at to, to proceed. So when I was buying my fourth property, I think my broker told me that this is the last property, Rusty. Don't bother about the fifth property. But when I did the same thing for the fifth property. I was like, okay, one more property, last one. And then probably I was told the same thing on my 15th property, but this is the last one. It was my strategy that I have to stop after 15 properties. So I actually gained 15th property three years ago. So it's just like following my strategy, nothing more. Yeah, okay. Um, so so two things, cash flow and capital growth are important. To me, the other thing, which is equity in the place is also very important. Like how much discount I'm getting because that will actually deleverage my portfolio. Mm. Gotcha. So having a th- combination of the three is the key thing for, from my perspective. So in order to be able to, I guess, grow and to increase your portfolio, were you basically leapfrogging by pulling out the equity from each property that gained to be able to invest into the next one? And with the cash flow that was funding the portfolio to service the, the properties that you had, that was basically how you were able to grow it like that? Yeah, exactly right. So to me, it was more about having the right strategy first, then having the right location and then the right property. Price what we pay is very beyond tertiary actually. Because now if I look back on one of few of my purchases, like that property which I bought at about 400,000 four years ago, now it is rated as like valued at about 620. 
Now, am I really worried about whether I paid ten thousand more or less the other, like when I was purchasing? Not. So, the idea is that as long as it's in, in the growth zone, something that would actually help me get my equity back immediately, that I can reuse it for my next purchase, has been the things that I've been looking at. But having the the corner of the eye looking at the long-term growth potentials as well, because it's not just about growing the portfolio. I have to be also be conscious of the later stages of consolidation and and wrapping it up. Uh, so having a strategy overall for the whole portfolio is the key thing as well. Ristogi began to feel the benefits of previous investments, and it resonated with him how important it was to keep the momentum up moving forward. So my biggest why has been generating the wealth and making that kind of money that I was earning actively in my job. I mean, it was a great dream role that I was working on. I was managing portfolio in tune of $2 billion. And um, what I realized that I was actually getting more rewarded for the decisions that I made a few years ago. And I realized that that generation, that generating of the wealth passively has actually opened up my, I guess, constraints around time and energy and money that I can choose to pursue my own passions. And that has been my why that I'm actually helping other people, my clients, to think about their own reason or think about their constraint and how they can get away from them so that they can lead the life they desire themselves. Ristogi has mentioned already that his journey was heavily influenced by reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and by listening to Sheree Barber talking through renovations. Who else along the way has impacted his investment journey and strategies? I think there are so many gurus out there, so many experts out there. But at the end of the day, it's more about the holistic approach. Because when I went to Bob Anderson course or you know Jason and Amy who are on the group of property developers, uh, they have a theory. They, they have worked out the way of how to do things. But I think education is not enough if, unless until you take action. So there are things around mindset as well. So I've actually gone to the programs like Tony Robbins uh, who talks about taking action, thinking about what's your why and, you know, uh, pivoting, as you said earlier. Uh, you know, so in direct answer is that I've actually gone to so many experts, Bob Anderson, uh, Sherry Barber, Dominic, Dimfna Baholt, um, even my colleagues, like people whom I actually worked with. Uh, like the good thing about all these networks is that it has exposed me to other fellow investors and, and developers. And to me, they're more approachable. We can learn from each other's mistakes. I still go out for so many socials and everyone has, has something to share and a lot more for me to learn on a daily basis. I'm learning even now on a daily basis, like what's really going on. And there are heaps of information out there, but as long as you can put it together, um, as as, as, as more qualified, that's, that's where the key is and taking action is the bigger thing than that. Every serious investor practices certain habits and routines which contribute to their success and Rastogi is no different. Meditation is the key thing, I would think. That actually talking to self as in reflecting back on how maybe the year has gone or the, the month has gone or the day has gone and how do you plan for your future? Like how do you plan for your next 10 years then having some milestones on the way and thinking about the end goal, like thinking about your obituary on your own, like on your deathbed, 
what do you want people to talk about so just that kind of a mindset and also thinking that you are more in control of the world around you speaker uh, of the circumstances so you as in one has to have control of the emotions not really being reactive to it but rather having the self belief that we are not i mean it's just a glass whether is half full or half empty to me it's always fully it's it's a full all the time so having that kind of mindset the the feeling of abundance and giving back to the community personally has given me a lot more i guess the the confidence and 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 the kick uh, that i need to do more because i have achieved for myself for my family but now it's more about uh, increasing my circle of influence and that's the reason why i've chosen to start my own get rare properties as a as a business so that i can reach out help them out to achieve what they are looking for we find out what advice rostogi would give to his younger self if he met himself 10 years ago i would say like just just keep chuckling because i think there's not like i'm not really much different from who am i today versus what i was 10 years ago it's just that having that kind of clarity a much more clarity with confidence uh is the thing like the small little habits like it's what we say is that it's one degree consistently persistently will get you a lot more ahead of the curve so things goes exponentially but as long as you're consistent and persistent have faith in the system and the process then it's a matter of just going through having said that the only thing i would say is have a coach have a mentor learn from them directly you don't really have to look back and tell yourself things as you said in hindsight it's easy to say something but when we actually approach a mentor or coach we are actually accessing their network as well as their wisdom as well as their experience and exposure in no time Thank you to Webhub Ristogi, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey and get a copy of the show notes on the website, head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash notes. The show notes will give you the inside scoop on the little gold nuggets of wisdom all our guests share from their backstory and all their overall strategies and philosophies. Plus, you'll get a copy of the advice broken down and shared in a quick and easy to consume format. Just head over to propertyinvestory.com forward slash notes and download it today. Thanks for listening. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, 
Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 